Good morning. My name is Chloe Finnefrock. This morning, our scripture reading is from the book of Habakkuk. Please follow along in your Bible or use the screens. I'll be reading selected verses from Habakkuk chapters 3 in the New Living Translation Bible. This prayer was sung by the prophet Habakkuk. I have heard all about you, Lord. I am filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by, and in your anger, remember your mercy. I see God moving across the deserts from Edom, the Holy One coming from Mount Paran. His brilliant splendor fills the heavens, and the earth is filled with his praise. His coming is as brilliant as the sunrise, rays of light flash from his hands, where his awesome power is hidden. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Chloe. Good morning, my name is Julie Steele. I'm one of the pastors here at Evergreen. And this morning we are ending our series, as I said, in the book of Habakkuk. And Habakkuk was a prophet in Israel, uh, but the southern part of Israel, which was Judah. And this happened about the time before the Babylonians came in and overtook Judah. And just to give a little recap from where we were last week, if you missed, um, Habakkuk was complaining to God that he needed to do something. He saw all this evil going on around him, and he didn't understand why God was allowing it to happen. Well, what God did then was that he gave Habakkuk a promise and said, don't worry, I'm going to come in and I will end all that evil. However, I'm going to use a more evil people, the Babylonians, to come in and overtake Judah. Well, that was not the answer that Habakkuk had expected. And he complained for a second time about that. I got to thinking about complaining. What do you complain about? What was the last time you complained? Probably this morning when you had to get up and come to church would be my guess. That could be it. We complain about the weather, other drivers, not having enough time, definitely the Seahawks season, but many other things too, right? This last week, the biggest thing that I was complaining about was the new Google Calendar format. Do you all have Google Calendars? No, you're all shaking your heads no. Anybody have a Google Calendar? Thank you, all right. Do you guys like the new format? Yeah, exactly. Well, the whole thing changed, and I, don't, I can't change it back to the way it was. And I want to know who decided I needed a new calendar. And I can't even, like I said, go back to my old calendar. So now I'm having to relearn this format. And there's this super annoying big round circle in the bottom right-hand corner that has a plus sign for you to add things to your calendar. And it's just sitting there driving me crazy. So every day, I click the link, send feedback, and tell them I want my old calendar back. 
Now, I know they're not going to give it to me. However, I want to annoy them as much as they have annoyed me. Well, I don't mean to imply that Habakkuk's complaints were trivial, like most of ours. They were valid, legitimate questions. He was asking the same difficult questions that we ask today. How can a good God allow evil to continue? And why do bad things happen, especially to good people? You know, God invites our hard questions, and that's what we saw with Habakkuk. We ended the book of Habakkuk shifting from he had a posture of complaining, and now he's moving to intentionally waiting and listening to God's answer. And God's response is he's reminding Habakkuk, I have not changed. I am still God, no matter what you see. He's still in his holy temple. Now, last week, we ended with Habakkuk saying, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There, I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. He doesn't say if he will answer my complaint. And so we see that Habakkuk really believes God is going to answer. He trusts him in this even though he is so confused about what God is doing and even why. And if you look, God's last words to Habakkuk are that the righteous will live by faith, and we find that in verse 4. The righteous being those who have a relationship with God, not that they are morally good necessarily. And in verses 18 to 19 here, describe the unrighteous people, those who create their own God, perhaps a God who answers their questions in a way they want to hear, or does things that make sense to them. God simply is reminding Habakkuk he has not changed. He says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. And so, now that we're up to speed from last week, we're going to dive into chapter 3. And today our message is, from complaining to contentment. We're going to see how Habakkuk moved in that direction and how we can do that too. Now, the beginning of what Chloe read, this prayer was sung by the prophet Habakkuk. Because of the reference to this being a song, as well as instructions at the end of chapter 3 for a choir director, it's thought that Habakkuk belonged to the tribe of the Levites and served as a temple musician. Or at the very least, this prayer was used as part of temple liturgy. So who knows, Habakkuk could have been on our band today, Katie, and leading worship. Probably not. Well, if you look at here, verse 2, I have heard all about you, Lord. How had Habakkuk heard all about the Lord? Well, the stories and experiences of how God has worked in the past, those were passed down from generation to generation. There is nothing more powerful than our own personal account of who God is. Sharing your story or what you know to be true of God encourages other people. Being in a small group is a way for you to encourage and be encouraged by the stories of other people's times of need 
where God met them. Our stories are really for those who do not yet have their own story of God's mercy and forgiveness and love. And our stories are for those who are in the midst of difficulties, but they're having a hard time believing God is there. We have a responsibility for passing on our stories. They are not just meant for us. Telling and hearing about God, has what he has done and is doing, is critical to our Christian growth. You see, others can live by faith because of our faith. My own faith has been strengthened by many of you and your stories, and I am really glad when my story can strengthen someone else's faith. You see, it gives purpose and meaning to our challenges and our suffering, and it reminds us that God uses everything. Well, Habakkuk could trust and have a living faith because of what he had heard about God and what he had done in the past. It says, help us again as you did before. So Habakkuk is claiming the truth about God not only by what he sees, by what God has done before. So when you're having a hard time understanding what God is doing in your life, what do you do? Do you recall those past times when you saw him at work, either in your life or someone else's? Something that I do is I actually sit down with a piece of paper and pen and I write out a list reminding myself of those situations that God worked in ways I could never have imagined. And when I do that, it helps me to have faith and continue to move forward. Now, verses three to seven here are a vision that God gives to Habakkuk in answer to his waiting in that watchtower. Habakkuk sees the Lord in all of his glory and power here. He not only sees the awesome appearance of God, but he sees him moving and acting on the earth. When I read this, I can only imagine if this scene were made today in a movie, what the special effects would be like. His coming is as brilliant as the sunrise. Rays of light flash from his hands where his awesome power is hidden. That could be quite a blockbuster. And then, in verses 8 to 11, God's rule over and through the basic elements of nature is seen here. He's using nature as a tool to demonstrate his power because, of course, he created nature, so he has power over it. Phrases like parted the sea, split the earth, mountains trembled, raging waters. There's also mention of the sun and the moon here. You see, because he is their creator and the creator of all natural law, he holds the power over the heavens and the earth. And then in verses 12 to 15, we see God's judgment on the nations. Habakkuk envisions God moving like a thundering giant marching through the earth. You marched across the land in anger and trampled the nations in your fury. Now, so that no one doubts the reason for God manifesting such power, Habakkuk states that God is going forth for the salvation of his people. It says here in verse 13, you went out to rescue 
your chosen people, to save your anointed ones. He's not ignoring evil or the oppression of his people, as Habakkuk's complaints were in previous chapters. He sees why he is doing it. Now, all judgment and destruction here was for the goal of deliverance. It was seen that way in the book of Exodus with all of the plagues, and it will be true again in the future when God tramples on the Babylonians. It's always for the purpose of turning his people back to him. There's something in the Old Testament called the, the cycle of apostasy. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's, it's a cycle that we all go through. See, Israel turns from God to idols. God turns Israel over to the oppressive surrounding nations. Israel turns back to God and cries out for help, and God delivers the Israelites. Israel rebels, God disciplines, Israel repents, God delivers. I don't know about you, but I see my life in that cycle quite a bit. Now, I want to be clear that God does not always cause our suffering, but he does allow what would cause us to turn back to him. Unfortunately, as humans who get complacent and self-reliant, we sometimes have to be in a really deep place of need for us to see our need and cry out to God. Now, after this vision, we have verse 16. Habakkuk says, I trembled inside when I heard this. My lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me, and I shook in terror. I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. This vision has left Habakkuk terrified, but it has also left him more confident in God's ability to do whatever it takes to deliver his people. God answers Habakkuk's questions back in chapter 2 from that watchtower with a demonstration of his power, showing him what he was capable of doing. You see, his power was a reminder that he could save his people. And that seemed to be enough for Habakkuk. He's no longer complaining, but now he's moving to contentment. Because God is still God, Habakkuk can be content to live by faith. And now we have these future verses, 17 through 19, as Habakkuk is looking towards what's coming down the pike. Even though the fig tree have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crops failed, even though and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread the height upon the heights. I want you to look at the contrast here. Back in chapter 1 last week, in verse 1, Habakkuk starts with, How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But then here in verse 18, I will rejoice 
I will be joyful. And then back again in chapter one last week, Habakkuk claims you do not save. But here we see, he says, the God of my salvation. Habakkuk has been transformed by his very personal encounter with God. His circumstances have not changed. As a matter of fact, he knows they're gonna get much worse before that deliverance comes. And yet, he seems to have a very different view of life. He seems to be more focused on who God is rather than what he is doing. So what has been the most difficult experience so far in your life? What's been your even though situation? Habakkuk is saying, even though I will lose everything, crops, my source of food, my livelihood, yet I will choose to live by faith. None of those things can affect his relationship with God. And it reminds me of the beginning of the 23rd Psalm. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. That is a statement of true contentment. Now Habakkuk doesn't pretend that the evil isn't going to come. He doesn't withdraw into some fantasy world saying, I'm just not going to think about it, which is how I handle things a lot of times. He doesn't even say, I'm going to buck up and I'm going to endure this. No, his mindset is not just to survive. He wants to choose to thrive in the circumstances. He's going to rejoice and be joyful. He's going to be content and not complain. I came across an article last week from an organization, Parenting with Love and Logic. Many of you are familiar with it. And uh, the title of it intrigued me as I was preparing because the title is Contentment as a Character Value. I'm gonna read this to you. What makes a truly happy person? Ah, the age-old question. Is it a lot of stuff and lots of entertaining activities, or could it possibly be something that resides inside a person? Truly happy people learned early in their lives to be content whatever the circumstances. Yes, sincerely joyful people understand that basing one's happiness on the acquisition of material possessions and participating in exciting activities leads to ever-increasing unhappiness and stress. It actually does the opposite of what we want it to do. Because of their wisdom in this matter, these joyful people focus on finding contentment in healthy relationships and I think I would add, in a healthy relationship with God. Do you want your kids to spend their lives searching for the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow? Do you want them spinning their wheels, racing towards something that doesn't exist? As early in life as possible, start teaching them that happiness comes from having loving relationships with people rather than things. And because of this materialistic culture we live in, I think we're all finding this a bigger challenge than ever. That's why it's more important than ever to do these two things. Spend loving time with your kids and say no when they ask for stuff. Interesting, huh? 
Well, we're going to look at some of the words of the Apostle Paul here about contentment. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Paul learned the secret of being content in plenty and in want. He lived by faith and did not depend on his circumstances. The book of Habakkuk proclaims an Old Testament theology of the cross. It says God is not found only or even primarily in the high points of life. Rather, God meets us in our suffering in a very powerful way. This theology provides us with two pictures of faith. The first is that the righteous, those in a relationship with God, live now in light of the promise they have received. The promise of things to come allows us to be content knowing this is not all there is. Yes, when we look around this world, it is full of evil and injustice, but we know God is still God, and he will, at the appointed time, make everything right. The second picture of faith from this Old Testament theology is that our rejoicing in God's blessing, even when the barns, the branches, and the pastures are empty. It's a picture of a heart that loves God rather than merely the blessings God gives. A heart rejoicing in God the giver, not just the gifts of God. It's a picture of one who knows life will inevitably bring low moments or those even though moments. Those moments are not signs that God is not God or that he has abandoned us. The righteous have faith that God will in fact find us in our suffering. I love this picture here, this tree. It states our last verses and it's such a picture of just though the fig tree and it looks sparse and barren and yet. I think that's really great. This is a picture of one who knows life is going to be tough of one who knows who they can draw on when those times come. When we are living by faith, God will take us to new heights in our relationship with him. He will stretch us and he will challenge us. As I've said before, in all of my even though moments, I have been able to look back and see how God has taken me to a deeper level with him. And I am grateful for that not for the circumstances, but for what came out of those circumstances. Well, let's look at some application points here from Habakkuk. What can we take away from our last few weeks? Thinking about how Habakkuk heard about God, do you place yourself in situations where you hear about God? Are you in a Bible study group or a small group? Are you in daily devotions, are you doing things where you are going to continually hear about God like Habakkuk did? 
All of those places are areas where we are able to come to God with our difficult questions and wait for his answers. And what about telling your story so others hear about God? Have you earned the right to be heard? Before we rush in and tell people about what God has done in our lives, we need to have some credibility so that they will listen to us. That means building strong relationships with people that make it a natural point of connection when we're able to talk about our faith. And how you live out your faith in times of confusion and suffering, those acts speak much louder than your words. And where do you find your contentment? Is it in your job, or your health, or your family, or your possessions? You know, we can have temporary contentment in those things, but they all can change in an instant. Our culture, even our church culture, is so consumeristic because we are searching for contentment in temporary things in all the wrong places. So are you in a place of complaining or contentment today? I know I complain way more than I am content. And I was thinking this week about the times that I have been most content in my life, and I can actually pinpoint certain times. And those are the times that I have been closest to God, and I have been relying on Him more. You see, contentment is a direct result of living by faith. Habakkuk is our example of living by faith. We need to, like him, bring our complaints to God, wait and listen for his answer, remember what he has done, and choose to focus on who he is in spite of what we see. Now this morning, we have an opportunity to live by faith as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, or Holy Communion. Jesus instituted this meal as a reminder to us of what he did by sacrificing himself so that we could be in a right relationship with God. And it is our faith in the work of Christ on the cross, in his death and resurrection, that counts us as righteous before God. This sacrament is also a reminder of the promise yet to come of his return to make all things right. And it gives us a reason to be joyful in all of our circumstances. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have always been faithful to us. And we come to you asking your forgiveness for our complaining and times of unfaithfulness to you. Lord, may we live by faith and seek our contentment in you alone. We thank you for this meal in which you gave us so that we could be reminded of your saving work in the past, which gives us faith to face the future. We pray that these visible, ordinary elements of bread and juice will become extraordinary signs of your invisible grace. In your name we pray, amen.